What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed of those of your host and our guest. Today, we're sitting down with Paige Arnani. She is a yogi and world-class skydiver. Uh, we are going to talk about her mission to get yoga to first responders. Uh, we're going to talk about skydiving as well. All that and so much more. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the podcast. Paige Arnone, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for taking some time to sit down and and uh, teach us a little bit and and share with our you know our audience about your yoga practice and what you're doing for the fire for the public safety world out there and uh, in our case for firefighters in particular. Um, I want to talk about that, but I, let's start with. Let's start with who is Paige? Yeah, that's all. I always get like a stomach flip with that question. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm again, Paige Arnone uh, from Phoenix, Arizona. So I was born and raised in the Phoenix area. I, um, how far back do you want me to go? Well, you, so you, well, you're a native. So let's talk native. about being a native. Yeah. So born and raised in Arizona. Um, I grew up in Peoria. I went to high school in Anthem, and then a week after graduating high school, I moved to Tempe, and I've basically lived in every city possible in Arizona, um, with the exception of northern Arizona. So um, I've lived in Maricopa, Eloy, Chandler, Gilbert, Tempe, Mesa, Scottsdale, you name it. So kind of bounced around. Really? So what, uh, what's your favorite part of, favorite part of town? Ooh, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. I, I think I spent most of my life on the East Valley, so I do like the East Valley a lot, but I'm in Old Town Scottsdale right now, and it's nice. So I really do enjoy it. I, I like the vibe. I think it's very healthy and vibrant and young, and everyone kind of takes care of themselves, and you know, I, I feel like a, an energy there that's yeah, really nice. Kind of so. fits your fits your mo yeah for now yeah. you know i tend to bounce every year or two so we'll see check back in with me <laughs> what, next year <laughs> yeah what's with the what's with the uh, nomad adventures what's that all about um i think for a long time honestly i was kind of lost i didn't know what i wanted to do or where i wanted to be and so i kind of just bounced around um i have I, I like to say that i lived many different lives mm. um i had a number of different careers and jobs and, you know, kind of bounced around. And then I had like my moment when I was 21, where I wanted to move away from Arizona. So I moved to Chicago for three years and lived out there. And then I came back and, um, you know, kind of settled down for a, a little while. I, I did get married and I settled down for, for several years in Gilbert. Um, and now I'm kind of back to bouncing a little bit. So you, Chicago for three years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so tell me about Chicago. Okay, so I because that is not Arizona. It's that is not very Arizona, um, but I loved it. It was. I think I needed to move away from Arizona to really appreciate Arizona and to come back. Mm. But I needed that sense of freedom and independence. Um, mm. I and and to a certain extent, I think I was also trying to run away from a lot of the things that had happened in my past in Arizona. So mm. we can kind of touch on that in a little bit, but 
I got a job in the Chicago area. I was a skydiver at the time. Um, so I was a professional skydiver. I was living in Eloy and working, at, working at the drop zone. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, By the and, way, uh, that is where I did my one and only jump so far in my life. Yeah. A it lot of amazing. people don't know that Eloy is one of the best skydiving facilities in the world. Skydivers from everywhere across the world come here to, to skydive it because the weather and the the skill set, like the level um, of skydiving is really advanced. So, um, Okay, hold on. We got to do a little segue though. Before you went to Chicago, you became a professional skydiver. Yes. Talk. Let's talk about that for a second. You were young. Young, young, young. Yeah. So I moved to Tempe uh, the weekend after I graduated high school because I was like, I got to get out of here and I needed my independence. You know, I think there's a common thread of like, I needed my independence when I was a young adult. And so I moved to Tempe. I did a semester at Mesa Community College and then I did, well, first I did a semester at Scottsdale Community and then Mesa Community. And then I dropped out to become a skydiver. Um, I was dating a guy at the time and he wanted to go skydiving for his birthday as like a bucket list. And so we went up to Northern Arizona to do a skydive. And honestly, I thought that he was going to go and then I could just chicken out and get my money back. I like, (laughs) I had really no intention of skydiving, but I wanted to be like the cool girlfriend that like got this thing for him. And mind you, I'm 19, you know, 18, 19, like I was super young and they made me go first. We both loved it. It was great. And then I think he broke up with me like two weeks later. And, you know, you're what? young and angsty <laughs> and you think your life is over, you know, sure. <laughs> like heart is broken. And so um, after that, I was like, well, I really liked doing that thing and I didn't really have anything else. And so I think that was a distraction for me or like a part of like the healing process from this breakup. So I went to Buckeye and I started Mm. skydiving um, at the facility over there because my family lives in Buckeye. So I kind of knew about that particular facility. And then I ended up going to Eloy afterwards because they were more advanced and I was able to learn more there. So um, lived there, worked there, Um, I competed in skydiving. I taught skydiving. I actually had military contracts. I worked with EOD. Um, I did a little over 1200 skydives during my career. And this was in a very short amount of time. So I kind of went like all in, all in, excuse me. Um, and then we had a really bad season. And so a lot of skydivers can kind of relate to that. There are certain seasons that where there's a lot of injuries, a lot of fatalities and it, it, got to the point where every time I was in the plane and mind you, I was jumping five days a week and probably Mm. six to eight jumps a day. And every single time I was in the plane, I was like, this is it. Like I'm going to die. And I just remember having that feeling every single day. Yeah, It's got to be hard to enjoy what you're doing when that's the feeling you're having every single time. Yeah. And you know, I, and I'm guessing that there are a lot of people who, you know, are first responders that can can relate to that feeling at some point, you know, mm. where you're like, this is it, you know, and then that feeling, it's so hard to overcome, especially when it's chronic and you're, you're constantly going through that. And so um, I decided that I wanted to work for an indoor skydiving facility um, instead. It's a mm. little bit safer and um, you can actually become more advanced flying in the wind tunnel because, 
you know, when you're skydiving, you only have a minute of working time before you have to, right. you know, pull your parachute. Right. And in the indoor facility, you can fly for 10 minutes at a time, which we equivalent to 10 skydives. So um, you can just learn and become more advanced uh, a lot quicker. Yeah. So, I, so help me the non skydiver. Yeah. Um, like I said, I did a tandem jump once and I just basically hung on for dear life as this, you know, well, uh-huh. I was held on to for dear life <laughs> as we just plummeted through the sky. So talk to me a little bit about like some of the subtle nuances that the, uh, the average Joe would not understand about skydiving. Like when you talk about getting more advanced in the wind tunnel, I intuitively, I understand that that's about understanding aerodynamics and learning how to manipulate the airflow, et cetera. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yep. And there are different orientations that you can fly in. So a oh. beginner orientation would be belly to earth, which is what most people think about when you think about skydiving, okay. right? Like yeah. you're flying and you're looking at the ground and you're kind of flat, right? Yeah. And your arms are up. You, I think everyone kind of knows that, the like classic. that, that skydiving position. That's the position I think I would assume if I was falling to my death. I'd just be like, ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you learn. You learn how to maneuver more, and it's it's just that it's aerodynamics, um, mm. manipulation of the air, learning to fall slower or faster um, based on um, surface area. And but then as you become more advanced, you can do tricks. And, you know, fly upside down and, you know, different orientations. Um, And then you get to the point where, I mean, there's lots of different styles that you can do. Uh, A lot of people kind of traditionally start to do bigger formation stuff. And so Mm. I started doing those where you would, you know, go out with a large group of skydivers and you would link up. So you would hold hands in the air and you try to make the biggest formation possible. So in 2013, I was a part of... um, a women's world record oh, wow. um, where I believe it was 63, 63, I should know this, uh, women flying upside down, <laughs> holding hands. Um, and at the time it was the largest female formation flying upside down. So uh, we were in the Guinness world record and, cool. you know, quite accomplished. I, I do yeah. think, you know, it was such a, a really cool part of my life. Um, and like you said, just kind of balls to the wall, go for it. Um, but then after, that world record, I moved to Chicago and really just focused on the indoor stuff for several years. Oh, cool. Um, and then that's where I kind of found my knack for um, sales and customer service. That was kind of my role there. So I worked my way up in the company. I was, um, you know, base level customer service and then worked my way up to corporate sales there. Um, and then we moved back. So my fiance at the time. Um, he was from Montana and he had seasonal depression. So he was like, we need to get out of here because it was cold. It was gray. You know, he's like, we got to go out. So we went back, came back to Arizona and I started working a, um, corporate sales job for GoDaddy. That is quite a dichotomy though. And that's a (laughs) big departure from the skydiving world. Yeah. I'm going to touch on something real quick. You talked about, uh, when you were flying, when you were skydiving a lot, uh, feeling like this is the last dive, so I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Do you think some of that had to do with the like doing the large formation dives? Like I would imagine, the more people in the air, the greater chance of error and potential hazard. Yes and no. Yes and no. Formation stuff can be really dangerous, but you also have to consider the fact that everyone who's doing that is also advanced. So generally, you kind of know what you're doing like yes there's always going to be like a wild card where someone's in there and they they do something really sketchy and you're like what just happened and that can be scary 
Um, but usually they're pretty safe. Like, you know, I say like quotations when I say safe. <laughs> right. Some of the times where I felt the most unsafe were on some of the, the smaller dives. And it was mostly because I think people have an inflated idea of their skill level mm. usually. And so my job was to gather people like random people who were there to jump um, and put together a fun skydive for them. So I would create this skydive and we would all go out and we would attempt it. And sometimes it was successful and sometimes it wasn't, but the idea was that it was fun. We're all doing it together and then they want to jump again. So basically my job was to keep people jumping, keep people spending money and, you know, right. and, and wanting to be there. Um, and so a lot of times you would ask someone, you know, what's your skill level? And they would be like, Oh, I can do all of these things. And then you get yeah. in the air and they can't do any of those <laughs> things. And you're like, what is happening? And that's when things yeah. become scary when there are different levels. Um, and that means skill level, but also levels in the sky. So generally to have a safe skydive, you want to be on the same level. So eye to eye, you want to be able to see somebody. Um, when someone is way up above you or way below you, that causes more um, risk because when you go to pull your parachute, if someone's right underneath of you or right above you, then you could potentially hit them. And there's all these things that are kind of involved in that. Right. So, um, yeah, usually the smaller skydives where people think that they're more advanced than they actually so, are. <laughs> do they think they're more advanced or is their ego get in the way? I mean, I think it's both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think it's both. I, I, I think, I think that people want, they want to feel included, right. And they want to be able to do this thing. And so they're like, yeah, I can do that. But also I do think that there are people who have a distorted view and that's probably the, the ego where they're like, yeah. like, I'm so good. And then you get out and you're like, bro, <laughs> what yeah. just happened? Not so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting, I, I worry about that a lot of times in, in every venue, right? People get pushed into a position where um, in work and in, in recreation, et cetera, where they think they're, they're like, well, I know enough. And then they show up with a group of folks who are maybe a little bit more advanced and they put themselves in a dangerous position because they don't want to look less than. Sure. Um, you know, you kind of just touched on that. And I think uh, if any place, uh, something as dangerous as skydiving, you'd want to temper that. Mm -hmm. But I imagine just like anything, people are like, no, no, I got this. Because they just, just because they don't want to uh, show that they have any uh, weakness in, their, in yeah. their system or what have you. And I think that's human nature to a certain mm -hmm. extent. You know, I think definitely irresponsible if it starts to ride the line of being unsafe. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, luckily I didn't, I didn't have any, I had some like scary moments, but I didn't have anything too, too crazy, you know, luckily. Yeah. Um, and now I say I'm retired, you know, retired skydiver. Haven't done it in a really long time. Um, I sold all my gear. I actually was in the wind tunnel recently though. Um, just for funsies, just for funsies. Yeah. <laughs> right I mean, on. I think I go maybe like, once every year or two or something like if the you know opportunity comes it. up i still got it <laughs> i really do um it's a little rocky for sure like there are definitely some things that i was like man i used to be able to do that or i was confident enough to do that because you can get injured in the tunnel oh, you bet. know if yeah. you hit the wall or something and so um i'm a pretty tim not timid but tame flyer now but yeah i'll get in there and i'm like it's like riding a bike 
There you go. Yeah. Yeah. The first couple of pedal strokes, you're like, whoa, whoa. And there yeah. you go. There it is. There it is. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. I, uh, I used to swim a lot and, um, there's, uh, one of the things I learned was to get a feel for the water. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that's a lot like skydiving. Mm-hmm. You're feeling the flow of the air and you be, you, you develop a sense of texture in the air, which I you know, I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but that's the way you feel the air moving and then you, it becomes intuitive. You know where the air is going to be. You know how to pocket it, how to capture it, how to direct it so that you can move a certain way. Um, 100%. Just and, like swimming. And I think too, there's a sense of like softness or relaxation that comes with it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you're not fighting it. And I would imagine that that's the same with the water. Like if you're trying to fight the water, you're trying to fight the wind. Yes. That's when things are rocky and you know and it's not as smooth but like when you can like relax into it almost become like one with it yes that's when you start to see the even like your progression you know start to skyrocket because you're like okay i am i'm not fighting it anymore i'm kind of one with it so that's cool yeah very cool uh yeah there's so many analogies that tie to that but it's it's uh what a neat experience uh that's very cool. Yeah. Did you ever was, do anything like an offshoot, like base jumping or anything like that? No. 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 I was always scared of that. Well, that's where most people die. I would say, if I've <laughs> heard from people, you know, uh, that base jumping can be uh, significantly more dangerous and should not be entered into lightly. It's definitely, I feel like chasing the carrot a little bit. I don't know if that's the, if that's the right saying for it but you know where's the next thing you know because skydiving does lose a little bit of like that adrenaline that was so captivating in the beginning you know that thing where you're like i you know i'm skydiving and it was like this great thing and then over time you kind of get desensitized to it a little bit you know and so then it's like where's that next high um and so for a lot of people that's base jumping um because you know, you, you add an, another element of, um, what word am I thinking of? Another element of danger. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, you know, it's in skydiving, you have your main parachute and then you have a backup. So if something goes wrong with your main, you got a backup, you know, and you have a computer chip in your, um, your skydiving rig that, you know, if you don't pull your first one, it'll automatically deploy your second one. And so there's safety to that. In base jumping, you got one. Right. And if that doesn't work, like you... Hello ground. Yeah. You're right there. Yeah. yeah. And um, you're too low for there to be any sort of computer chip in there because you're mm-hmm. jumping at, you know, um, 500 feet or, you know, 800 feet. And so... Well, re- have you seen the cats jumping off of Camelback? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are some people I know. Yeah, that I imagine. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, I've always, I, I was always shocked by that because that is a very short jump. It's like the lowest you can go. I'm pretty sure. About 300 feet. Does uh, sound about right? No, I want to say that that's probably five. I think. Oh really? That, okay. Yeah, I think five is kind of the lowest. Uh, but you have to think about like wind conditions and things. And so if you open and you, mm-hmm. you turn around, now you're facing the mountain and there's yeah. lots of things that can go wrong. Um, I've known quite a few people who um, have died base jumping. Most people who yeah. die are, are base jumping, not skydiving necessarily. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I didn't really entertain that at all. It wasn't something I was interested in. Yeah. Um, I'm an adrenaline junkie to a certain extent, but I'm also like pretty timid 
with stuff, you know. Calculated risk. Calculated risk, that's right. So, um, no, I never did anything like that. I think it was really just the indoor and, Wow, that's very cool. Do do you think that a lot of people go to skydiving um, in search of something that may be missing from their lives or? Yeah, and, you know, I... 100% I can speak to my experience I don't want to speak for anybody else Um, there is a saying land of lost toys Um, and I think that it's because there is something that's missing or at least for me there was I was definitely lost and we kind of touched on that before like I bounced around I didn't really know what I wanted to do you know I went to college a little bit and then you know um, and I think I really didn't know who I was or what I wanted in life. And this was something that made me feel really good. And I I think now retrospectively, in the moment, I didn't realize this, but I think now looking back, and I think we all kind of have those moments where we're like, oh, you know, I was like, that was a sense of numbing for me. That was a way for me to escape um, because I was really unhappy and unhealthy and, um, struggling with a lot of, um, you know, childhood traumas and, um, you know, things that I had never processed and didn't have the tools to process. And so for me, you know, running away and living in Eloy and, you know, doing this thing that, um, you know, on the surface was really fulfilling, right? It's like you have, there's a community out there and the community is really amazing. Um, but you know, I think it was that escaping that numbing and also the skydiver lifestyle lends itself to partying and escaping and numbing. And then, like I said, that, 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 um, saying of like land of lost toys, I think everyone kind of comes together and it's almost without it being said. And, you know, I I hope I don't get like backlash for this, but I do think that there's a certain level of like trauma bonding too. You know, we all kind of had been through things Mm -hmm. and then we're also in this thing that's unique that no one else like in like the general population can relate to. And so we're all bonding over those things. Yeah. Um, And it was a great community and I don't want to discount that because the people I met over those years are still some of my, like closest friends and um you know great people and talented people but yeah yeah i think that for me that was my way of not dealing with some things that i needed to deal with i'm gonna prop you up here so in that industry right you you know talk about some of these shared trauma and we're coming into this industry with some trauma. And I would submit to you that you are not alone in that, in that industry, right? In the fire service and public safety, people come here for a wide variety of reasons. And some of the difficult things that we deal with, um, builds this bond, uh, that, you know, you trauma bond over some, you see some really horrifying things that the, uh, I learned, I learned quite young in my career. I was at a family party and someone's like, tell me something crazy you saw. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So I start telling this story. And this group of people are standing there slack jawed looking at me with horror in their eyes. And I'm like, oh yeah. And then this brain was over here and this happened over here. And and I'm realizing quite quickly that, oh, this isn't for general consumption. Like Mm -hmm. not everyone can hear this stuff and process it. But on the fire truck, we're laughing and joking, right? In, uh, you know, when I was in the Marine Corps, you know, we, we do some very difficult things 
and to, and that brings the unit together, brings the people together. So I'm not surprised that you find this community um, that goes and parties together that, that is tightly knit because you're doing a very dangerous thing together, and that's an amazing uh, experience to share with somebody. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, it's very cool. So what are you know what are some of the things that you think you are running from? Yeah, so. Both of my so both of my parents were drug addicts. Um, my dad was gang affiliated. Um, they were both um, their drug of choice was methamphetamines, mm. and my dad went to prison when I was five. He served a six year sentence for the sale of narcotics, so he was absent. And you know, I think as at a really young age my relationship with him, you know, I, I like desperately waited for him to get out, you know, and, and my memories of him as a kid were, um, you know, prison collect calls and prison letters and annual prison visits. Um, and so like my memories of him were of that because right. I didn't have any previous memories. Um, and then my mom, she, she married my stepdad when I was three. They were married until I was eight and I lived with her for about a year after that, and she um, was never around. Basically, she like neglected me. She was partying, doing drugs. She would leave for days at a time. I'm eight years old, alone, you know. And she wow. decided then she didn't want to be a mom anymore, and so she left and dropped me off with my stepdad. So, um, you know, early on, feeling those feelings of not being good enough, those feelings of neglect, like both of my parents not wanting me um, and wondering what I did wrong, yeah. you know, and yeah. um, that is so much for a little kiddo. Yeah. And, you know, I did have and there is a silver lining. And I do like to always say this because I did have a lot of opportunities with my stepdad. He um, gave me everything he possibly could. He raised me as a single dad. He was not my legal guardian, so he didn't have any rights to me. He didn't have any obligation to me, but he wanted to give me a good life. And, you know, he did. He, ra we, you know, he raised me in Peoria, um, you know, upper middle class. You know, he put me in cheerleading and, you know, gave me all the things that I needed, you know, from that perspective. And yet I still really struggled internally with, you know, the, my biological parents. And yeah. so my dad, you know, I like waited for him to get out of prison and, you know, I wanted this relationship with him. And I thought that when he got out, because I already knew that my mom like was like, to me, she didn't love me and she didn't want me. So she left. And so I think I clung on to this idea that like, well, my dad loves me. And when he gets out of prison, he's going to be there for me because he just, he wants to be, he just can't right now. I think that that was kind of the idea. Yeah. And when he got out, he served his parole in California because that's where my grandparents lived. And he immediately went back to using. Um, and so this like idea that I had in my head was completely shattered. Um, and on top of that, because of his drug use, he was extremely abusive, um, verbally and physically. So, um, you know, I would spend every summer, um, it was every summer and every other Christmas was kind of the deal. Um, and so I would go up there and be exposed to 
all of those things. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know if anyone is familiar has spent like extended periods of time with someone who's addicted to meth, but you know, it's up for days at a time. Um, and really chaotic and, you know, crazy for three days or four days. And then they would sleep for several days at a time and like rinse and repeat. And that was kind of the process. So, um, and then when he was coming down was when I found that his anger and his abuse would go up. Right. Um, it probably felt like absolute crap. So it yeah. drives that too, right? Yeah. And he had married, um, and there was a kind of trauma with that too. He married this woman. I wasn't invited to the wedding. I didn't know anything about the wedding. So all of a sudden my dad, you know, has this new family with this new wife and she had two daughters and she was also very abusive and they were active in their, um, their drug use together. And so there had been several times where as, you know, a young kid seeing, you know, my dad, physically abuse her to the point where like I thought he was going to kill her and me trying to like care for her two young daughters who were younger than me. So, you know, telling them that, that their mom's going to be okay when really I thought my dad was going to kill her in front of us. And so there were like moments like that where I'm having to then be the adult and take care of these two kids when I'm still a kid myself. And, um, also kind of understanding, the person that I am in those moments. Cause obviously, you know, the, the idea and the image that I had of who my dad was, was completely shattered. And he was this like completely different person and this monster, if you will, you know, he was, um, really terrible. And, but then I also realized who I was. And in those times where, you know, logically you sit here and you say, what do you do in this situation? And you're like, I get help. You know, I call the police, I, I get help. I go to a neighbor, I get help. You know, there's logically, those are the things that you do, but in the moment, you know, and I know I was a kid, so like I've already, you know, thought through and lots of therapy, but, um, you know, I didn't have the courage to do anything, you know, other than try to console these two young girls. And, um, and I think that that impacted my confidence a lot too, of like in times of fight or flight or freeze, like I freeze. I don't have the courage to, to get help. And, you know, this woman is being beaten to death, you know, or inches of her life in front of us. And I still don't have the courage to like tell on my dad or, you know, so like moments like that. And, you know, there were several like that over the years. Um, and meanwhile, my mom would, you know, kind of come in and out of my life when she needed something, you know, so she wasn't physically abusive as much as she was very emotionally and verbally abusive. Um, you know, always telling me that I wasn't good enough. I was fat. I was ugly, you know, all these things. Um, but then also, you know, coming back in and she would hold me over my stepdad's head. So she would say like, if you don't give me money, I'm going to take Paige from you. And he loved me and he wanted me to have a stable and supportive life. So he would do whatever she wanted so that he could keep me in his care. Um, but then even still she would come like every time she would get a new boyfriend, she would take me out of that stable home environment, make me move in with her and her new boyfriend until that would inevitably, you know, blow up because they would figure out who she was and then rinse and repeat. So my, my life was as much as my stepdad tried to make that really stable for me was very unstable yeah. with my mom kind of coming in and out and kind of just using me, to get what she wanted. It wasn't real 
love or support, right? It was just like I was just a pawn in, you know, um, and yeah, you were you were a chip that she could play, yeah, against your your stepdad. Yeah. And so, you know, I think, and there's plenty of examples I can go over, you know, that happened over the years. Um, and I didn't know who I was. Um, I grew up believing I wasn't good enough. And as a kid, I think that's really hard, you know? And so I, you know, I did this thing for several years where I was like, well, maybe if I'm this, then they'll love me, you know, maybe if I'm prettier, um, or if I'm smarter. And so I tried to get really, really good grades in school. Um, or maybe if I'm more athletic. And so like I put everything into cheerleading to be like the best cheerleader ever, you know, and, and all these things. And then, you know, obviously none of those worked because it had nothing to do with me. And I understand that now, but as a kid, I was like, okay, well, you know, trying all these things. And I tried to adapt to be, you know, who, like a version of who I thought my parents could love. And, when that didn't work, I, I turned to anger and resentment and I started, you know, hanging out with the wrong people and choosing the wrong paths and, um, you know, partying and ditching school and, you know, not getting good grades and, you know, leaving the cheerleading squad and like all of these things that I had worked so hard. Cause I was like, well, maybe if I excel in these things, then, you know, I was like, okay, well maybe if I make a big scene, you know, and start, you know, getting in trouble and not doing these things then maybe those things will get their attention. Right. Um, and of course they didn't either. And then that also made me feel like, okay, well then I just don't matter at all. Like nothing I do, I, I do matters. And so now what? You know, and so jump out of planes, jump out of planes. Yeah. And so escape, numb, hide, shove it down. Um, you know, there were a lot of things that I did over the years. Um, and to me, those things made me strong, right? They hardened me. And I did have this attitude of kind of like, I was also F you. It was kind of like an F you mentality of like, I'm strong. I'm hard. Like I've got this, like, I've been through all this stuff and you don't know what I've been through. So like, how dare you come at me? You know, that was kind of my attitude for a really long time. I was like, Mm. you don't know what I've been through. I've been through more than you, than you have. And so, um, you know, I'm resilient, I'm strong. And, and I realize now that that wasn't actually strength, you know, that was guarding, guarding. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, ducking, to a certain extent, you know, like good on the surface, but underneath, like really paddling like hell to stay afloat and struggling. Um, and so, you know, I, I developed severe anxiety, um, panic attacks, and I was medicated for a long time with antidepressants and I kind of just survived. Yeah. So, so how did you start? I mean, clearly you've broken that cycle for yourself. Um, you know, you mentioned therapy and which I am a strong advocate of. I think we all have shit (laughs) shit we can work out. Um, and we need to be working that stuff out, whether you know it or not. Um, you need to, you know, you should probably go to therapy, Mm -hmm. um, all of us. And so, so how did you kind of reconcile that or figure out that you needed to start working on that? I think that there is always a moment where you kind of look around at your life and you're like, this isn't it you know, whatever that is, you know, it could, it could even just be like the conversation you're having in your head that you're like, this isn't it, you know, but I 
just looked around and I was like, I am like all the people I was surrounding myself with, you know, the, the partying, like just everything. I was like, this is not because forever from when I was a little kid, there was one thing I was certain of that I never wanted to end up like my parents. Like that was like my like core guiding light of like, no matter what happens, I do not want to end up like my parents. And I think I had this moment where I was like, I'm going to end up like my parents. You know, if I don't start like doing something with my life, like I'm going to end up, you know, in this spot where like I'm not doing anything, I'm like getting in trouble, whatever, you know. And so, and I hadn't reached that point. I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't doing anything too crazy, you know, but I I definitely felt like I wasn't going anywhere positive. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I thought like I need, something. And honestly, you know, obviously yoga is my thing and, um, yoga was kind of the catalyst for everything. Um, I wanted to be more physically fit. That was kind of what I thought. I was like, I'm not going anywhere. This isn't it. You know, I'm unhealthy. I was eating fast food for every meal. I was smoking cigarettes. Like I was, you know, drinking all the time. Like I was super unhealthy. I felt that way, you know? And I was like, I just want to feel better like physically. And I don't, cause I, I, at that time I also didn't have the wherewithal or like the, the awareness that like I needed something more for like my mental state. And I think that a lot of us don't have that until there's like a moment, like a breakdown or something that happens where you're like, okay, now I need to address it. So I still didn't have that awareness of like, I need therapy and I need, you know, all these, you know, mental health um, tools. And so at first it was like, I just want to feel better physically, you know? And so I took a yoga class. It was a hot yoga class, which I think most people that that's their introduction is right. like Hatha. Is it Hatha? Um, yoga no. That... So there's most people probably know Bikram, right? You've heard oh, this like yeah. Bikram. Mm-hmm. It was similar to that. Okay. Um, it was in Arizona. There was, one, it was I feel like all yoga Sumit. in Arizona is hot yoga. <laughs> Could do it outside <laughs> in the summer for sure. Um, so I took that class and it was really hard. And I remember I like smoked a cigarette in the parking lot before I went in there, you know, and I took this class and I was dying. Like I could not breathe. I was dying, but I came out and I felt better and I was like, okay, like that felt good. Like maybe I'll keep doing that. And so it was very much like, you know, this like baby step of like physicality, like how do I just get, you know, better physically. And then, um, I think that yoga promotes a healthier lifestyle. And so I wanted to eat healthier and, you know, I stopped smoking and like those things kind of like fell into place through that. Um, and then the, the mental and the emotional stuff came later. I don't think it came right away. Um, and I'd never say that yoga is the end all be all because it's not, there are other resources and tools that you that you should take advantage of, you know, it was like a holistic view. And so therapy came later, um, which was super helpful for me to unpack everything. Um, and you know, my therapist had me doing a lot of, um, maybe unconventional things, you know, she was having me like step into the room of Al-Anon and Narcotics Anonymous and, you know, and, and from the perspective of like 
the wounded child or, you know, mm. like to be able to hear stories of other addicts Maybe or help you develop that empathy. And exactly. To, yeah. mm-hmm. And to understand that it wasn't me and that, right. you know, my parents were also struggling and hurting and that, right. you know, they have trauma that brought them to where they are. And so there were lots of things that I did over the years. Um, I, but I think that yoga was kind of that, that first step in the direction of me healing. Yeah. It, yeah. Stepping on the mat for you was uh, that, that, that first step. And, and I love what you talked about kind of the, the idea that it's a, um, it's, it's a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How do I want to say this? It's a, it's a, an environment of health and wellness mm-hmm. and, but you don't have to be a yogi to start yoga, right? You take that first step and then you begin on a journey toward wellness Um, I think that's such an important piece. And even, you know, you talk about, uh, I'm sure you didn't go. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, every day I'm going. Um, It probably took, uh, there was a day you went and a day you didn't go. And so a lot of us, I think, uh, start. And then when we don't, when we can't maintain it, we go, well, this is, it's not for me. How am I supposed to do this? Right. My life's a wreck. Well, you just go again. Yeah. You just get back on the wagon, so to speak, and uh, you just keep going until it becomes a permanent habit in your life. You just keep on uh, finding different ways. I like to think of it as an experiment of one, right? Each one, each of us is an experiment of one. Mm-hmm. And so what are you doing today to stay healthy? Well, something, figure it out, right? Keep doing something. And I think the idea of health and wellness can be so overwhelming, yeah. you know, especially yeah, like when you're point. starting you know, and, and you're busy, you know, we're all, you know, at the time I was younger, you know, I didn't have as much going on, (laughs) you know, like, um, but we're all busy and it's overwhelming. It's hard to find time. It's hard to find motivation. It's hard to know what to do and what's going to work. And so I think you nailed it, you know, start, I always tell people just start easy, you know, like just try like once a week, something, you know, And, and it doesn't have to be, a full hour long class. Like maybe you do a breathing exercise for five minutes once a week, you know, and that's an element of the yoga practice. You know, maybe you do a meditation before you go to bed to help you sleep, you know, and, and then like you can go from there, you know, but I I think, and I, I I actually refer to this a lot because I think it's really funny. Yoga is the only thing that I hear people say, like, I'm not flexible. And so I can't do it. Mm. You know, and that and just goes back to what you said about, you know, having to be a yogi to do yoga. Um, no one ever says, I'm not strong, so I'm not going to go to the gym. Right. They're like, I'm going to go to the gym because I want to get stronger. Like, that's kind of like the idea. Like you go to yoga to like become more flexible or to gain these things, you know, and it, and it but I think like yoga is like the one thing where people are like, no, I can't. I, you know what's funny you say that? I, I, I'm going to challenge you on that challenge one. Challenge me, okay. Because I have had so many people not go to the gym because there's a bunch of meatheads in there and it's intimidating. I, I don't want to go to the gym because, well, I'm not a lifter and they're like, there's all these crazy lifters in there and I look like an idiot. Or I've had people say, well, I don't, I'm not a good runner. Mm. Like, well, you don't run. Eh, I'm not a good runner. Well, yeah, running sucks until you get really good at it. Yeah. And then it sucks faster, right? <laughs> it just sucks. At, and same thing with jujitsu. Yep. Oh, you know what? I got to get in shape before First. I start jujitsu. Yeah, I can see that. And I do like that challenge. I think there, no one wants to suck at anything. 
Right. You but know? you gotta and, embrace and that's kind of like your suck. Totally. And I am on board with you. Like I am on the same page. I agree. Like I've gotten to the point where like I kind of like sucking now. Like I, I like not being good at something because that means that I'm growing and I'm learning and, you know, and I think that there's, you know, you, it kind of almost brings you back to that like childlike nature of like trying something new and having fun and embracing the fact that like you're not good at it and i think as we get older we all just want to like look a certain way to our peers or you know the people around us and i've kind of gotten as i get older i've kind of I don't care anymore. Yeah. You know, I don't care if I embarrass myself because I know that if I keep doing it, I'm going to get better. And I think that we always have to have something that we strive to be better at, regardless yeah. of what it is. That's what keeps us going, you know, and it, it allows us to like prevent stagnation. And, you know, and I think that when we don't have anything to look forward to or like, you know, to progress, it doesn't have to be anything physical. It could be anything. Um, then that's when you start to like find that complacency in your life. And, you know, um, so I agree with you on that. I think that there is a, a bit of like, um, you know, embarrassment of, you know, or not wanting. And I see that in yoga too. Like I go to the, you know, different departments and people don't want to suck in front of chief and chief doesn't want to suck in front of the employee, you know, and it's like these things that happen. So I get that. Um, and well, I, you, I feel like I had one other thing to say, but we can we can stop it there. Well, I, I was just going to say yeah. we being vulnerable and and feeling weak or in insufficient in front of your peers or even in front of strangers, right? Can like it's easier in front of strangers, I think, but in front of your peers where they hold you in a certain esteem or regard, and you're like, well, I'm going to go in here and demonstrate that I I'm going to show some weakness or I'm going to be vulnerable in front of these people and share with them something about myself whether it be physical or emotional or whatever, uh, can be quite daunting and is, is I think, a step toward healing and a step toward personal growth. Like I, mean, I think I'm echoing you at this point, is, is, t- is doing that thing, doing the uncomfortable thing in front of your peers, and mm-hmm. especially when you're doing it together, right? If you yeah. all go out into the Baparatus Bay or, or into the you know, conference room and you, you work through something, I see this a lot in in training, we'll go to a training environment and we're learning a new skill or we're revisiting a skill that we all know, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll ask a question in the training room and people will just like look away. They avert eye contact. They look down. Nobody wants to answer the question because they don't want to feel, they don't want to make it, they don't want to be wrong and say something wrong in front of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar with physical acts, right? I don't want to look weak or I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. Sure. But man, if you don't put it out there, if you don't take the first step, you'll never get there. Yeah. And I think too that we're on the path of doing this, but I think flipping that idea on its head because, you know, and I'm going to refer back to what I was saying about how, you know, when I was younger, I thought that the strength was, you know, I've got this like mm-hmm. on the surface, like I'm good. I can do this. Like, nothing phases me, right? Like I'm good. Like that's the strength. And I realize, and I know that this might be controversial to say, but I do think that the weakness is in not doing the thing, you know, that vulnerability is actually the true, the true strength. Vulnerability is not weakness. Um, and it's easier to not do the things and maybe that's health and wellness. Maybe that's, you know, a new skill or, you know, a new workout or whatever it is. But, um, 
you know, being vulnerable is really strong and it's easier to avoid things and to not do things and to stay in your comfort zone. And, you know, and especially when it comes like processing stuff, that's the easy part for me, like escaping and numbing and not doing the hard work. Like that's, that was the weakness, you know, actually like being vulnerable is the strength and processing the things and doing the things and trying the new things like that. And I think we need to flip that on its head a little bit and create a culture around, you know, and we've all been in a room where someone opens up and they say this really hard, vulnerable thing, you know, and they like break down in front of you. And as listeners, you know, being in that room with that person who's showing that we view that person as strong right? Like when you hear a really hard story and you see someone break down, you're like, wow, like that took strength to be able to do that and, and to show that. And I know that doesn't feel that way for the individual. You feel like you're being weak and you're breaking down, but I feel like we view that as strength. And so it's really interesting because, you know, I think that we still do personally feel that vulnerability as weakness. And, you know, getting more in line and like, you know, kind of flipping that idea on its head, I think is going to be really powerful down the road. Wow. Paige, thank you for saying that. Um, Because I think that is a a profound statement. Vulnerability is strength. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we put ourselves in those positions, we we grow, period. And uh, that's critical. So you have stepped into, and I'm going to... You've stepped into a world where you are doing, you're bringing your practice of yoga to public safety. Uh, You've been doing this for a while. And so what have you found to be um, what's been receptive? Why should public safety folks be doing yoga? Um, What's, why is it in their best interest? Um, I believe it is. Now my practice is weak at best. (laughs) Um, And I, but I, but I come back to it all the time. Hey, I need to be moving more and working on mobility and and conducting yoga. But tell me what your perspective is on that. Yeah. So, you know, I've been doing this for almost six years, um, in the first responder world, you know, law enforcement and public safety. Um, and there are a few different layers or elements I think that are important to, to talk about. And I always like to start with the physical part. Because I think that most people can wrap their head around the physical benefits of the yoga practice and how that applies to public safety specifically. Um, You know, all the other things, mental, the emotional, I feel like the receptiveness, you know, you kind of, um, it starts to taper down a little bit. And so like, let's start with the physical. Um, And that's where I always like to approach it. Um, My teaching style is unique in the sense that I'm very direct. I'm not like a woo woo teacher, which I understand that yoga still has this connotation or this stigma around it that, you know, yoga's woo woo or feminine or hippy dippy. Like I've, I've heard it all by this point, you know? Um, but I do think receptiveness is growing, which is really exciting. And the approach that I take is very modern and accessible and direct. And when we talk about, the physical benefits of the yoga practice. Um, I think that the thing that most first responders in general are attracted to is the mobility aspect of it. Um, you know, you guys are tight, right? And so 
we kind of already know the, the typical injuries, the typical aches and pains in this line of work. And so how do we approach the yoga practice as a tool to help create more mobility and stability in the body, which then prevents injury? Um, so that's kind of how I like to start you know, when I, when I approach it is like, let's talk about the physical part, um, and the benefits of that quicker muscle recovery, greater mobility, injury prevention. Um, and then from there, you know, the, the mental and the emotional benefits kind of come later if you're receptive to it, if you're open to it and they kind of happen on their own without me having to preach it too much. Like the practice kind of takes care of itself. Um, at its core, yoga is a breathing practice, right? And so um, we incorporate breathing exercises into the practice, which then helps with uh, mental clarity, mental stability, resilience. Um, it helps to regulate the nervous system. It has a, a positive impact on cardiovascular health and respiratory health, which is also a big thing in this line of work. So um you know, that kind of happens on its own because we are incorporating the breathing elements into the physicality of the yoga practice. Um, and then, you know, as far as it being a tool for, you know, processing trauma and, um, you know, PTSD and all these things, I think though, like that part of it comes later and you kind of nailed it earlier where you're like, you know, taking the first step and then it's like a path or it's a journey, you know, it's like a, it's a practice, you know, you do this for years and, you know, I've been, yoga has been in my life for 13 years and I, it's still a practice for me. You know, I, I, I can't say that it's cured everything, you know, it's still something that I have to, to revisit and, you know, it's, and it's always helping me with where I am that day. And I think that that's kind of the cool thing too, is yoga kind of meets you where you are and gives you what you need in that moment. Um, but you know, specifically for public safety, start with the physical, let's try to get your bodies feeling better, uh, more mobile, less injury, um, and then regulating the nervous system and, um, you know, creating like a sense of peace and calm by like reducing stress and anxiety and all those things. So, okay. A couple questions. First question is, is how often should I be programming this into my life? I mean, ideally to, to be sustainable. Yeah. Right? And so he, here's the thing. Like, that's why I say like, just start easy. You know, it doesn't have to be like five days a week because it's not realistic. Like we're all so busy. There's even for me, like I'm not going to do yoga five, six days a week. Like I, like, you know, something that fits into your lifestyle that you can maintain. So if that's once a week, start there. Let's try once a week, ideally two times maybe three times a week, eventually one or two times a week. Perfect. Start there. And well, my, and my follow-up question is then like how long of a session? And I'll tell you why I'm asking that. Cause mm -hmm. I get on, I'll get on like a YouTube, right. And I'm like yoga for beginners, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yoga for rain, beginner style. And you know, there's, there's 10 minute hip mobility. Then there's like the hour and a half power yoga. Mm -hmm. So where is a, a reasonable, and I know you're going to share a resource with us, but like right. in your general frame of reference, what is a, um, uh, a reasonable amount of time or what's an appropriate amount of time to do kind of a full body session? I think that I can't give a time frame. you know, like I would be happy. And I think we talked about this earlier, but I, 
you know, even if you sat down and did a five minute breathing exercise, mm-hmm. because breathing exercises, that's yoga. That's a part of the yoga practice, you know? Um, so if you could take five minutes out of your day and do a breathing exercise that helps to regulate your nervous system, decrease stress and anxiety, you know, great. And that impacts the rest of your day, your productivity, your mental and emotional state, then great. Um, as far as the physical practice goes, whatever you can fit, you know, if, if that's 10 minutes and that's all you got and you can do 10 minutes before you go to work, great. Okay. You know, and if you can do 30 minutes or an hour, even better, you know, I think an hour, hour and 15 minute class is going to give you physically the best, you know, because you have the opportunity. What happens is you, you go into whatever it is, a breathing exercise, a class, a meditation, and your mind is busy. You know, your mind is going crazy because that's what the mind likes to do. It doesn't necessarily want to be super present. You know, it's like the monkey mind as we talk about, like it's, it likes to think about all these things all the time. And so you enter into this space with your mind going a million miles an hour. The longer you do something, the quieter the mind becomes. And so if you have the time and the ability to do a an hour class versus a 10 minute class, you're going to reap bigger benefits because your mind has the opportunity to quiet down. You become more present, more mindful, more in the moment. Um, and you gain those tools, you know, throughout that practice to be able to breathe through the challenging things, to be able to have more awareness of when your mind is thinking about stuff and reel it back into the present moment. So the longer you can practice, the better. Um, but again, start easy, step by step. You know, if, if you're like, I only have 10 minutes, do 10 minutes and then expand that, you know, extend that over time. Um, but the longer, the better, but anything is better than nothing. So my next question might not make it, might not be relevant then. So how do you program this in coordination with other programs? To other training programs. So I train jujitsu or I'm weightlifting or I'm a runner. Like how do you recommend commingling it to get the most benefit? I think it depends on how you're using it. You know, if you are using it in tandem with another physical exercise, what are you trying to get out of the practice? You know, for you, is it that you want to de-stress? Is it, is it mental? Is it like I you know, I just want to breathe and, you know, decompress from my day or from my week. Um, or is it, I want greater mobility because that's helpful with jujitsu, mm-hmm. you know, um, yes. or, answer, um, answer yeah. yes. <laughs> or do I want more mobility, um, because it's helpful because I'm a runner. Um, right. or is it, you know, I want more strength and stability because that's going to help me with X, Y, Z. And so I think that you have to determine why the reason why you're using the the yoga practice. Um, and that can change, you know, there's been times where like I've done really, really physical yoga because I want to get stronger. And then there's been like seasons, you know, like where I'm like, I just want to breathe. I just want to de-stress. Like I don't care as much about the physical stuff as I do, you know, the mental and emotional benefits of it. And so, um, you know, if we take a very specific example, you said yes for jujitsu. You yeah. know, we yeah, talked earlier. I know that, that you, you know, you like jujitsu. And so, um, if you're using, and most people, I, I'm familiar with jujitsu, um, and 
most people use yoga or some sort of mobility in tandem with jujitsu because it's really helpful. You know, you have to be really agile and mobile to be able to do those moves within the jujitsu practice. Um, And so for you, maybe once a week, you focus primarily on mobility, you know, and that's going to help you with your jujitsu and help you to progress in that area. And so maybe that's your focus of let's do more like deep stretching. Um, let's do, you know, things that are going to help increase my shoulder mobility, my hip mobility, things of that nature. So I think you have to determine why are you using it and that can change over time. Um, but you know, for me, And I like to tell people this because I think it's totally unrelatable if I'm like, I just do yoga all day long, all day, every day. I'm just in the yoga studio, you know, meditating and because everyone's like, that is not my life. And I want to be clear that that's not my life either. You know, I, I run a business. I, um, I work out with a personal trainer. Like I do lifting too. You know, I am hip thrusting like 220 pounds. (laughs) I'm proud of that. You know, I do hit training um, and like circuit training classes. So I'm also very physical. And so I know what it feels like to be tight. I also know what it feels like to have other things that you're focusing on as far as strength and stability. And so these days, again, and this can change, you know, these days I use that as a counter to my physical exercise that I do with my personal trainer because I need it. Um, Another thing that I think people don't understand is that the more mobility you incorporate into your practice actually um, impacts the muscle mass that you can build. So if you incorporate yoga in tandem with weightlifting, then you're going to gain more muscle mass um, over time because the muscles are operating at a a higher efficiency. Um, So that's what I do now is I use it a couple times a week as like mobility and in in tandem with my other physical exercises. Yeah. So when I think about the need that a firefighter would have, right, they are going to be going from zero to 60 miles an hour in a heartbeat with no warm up. 100%. And uh, and working in environments that are uh, unknowable and unstable oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm thinking of a specific incident where I crawled through a window and the whole entire room was uh, stacks of magazines. And so I was slipping and sliding uh, over the tops of these magazines as I was trying to find the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, unknowable environments and unstable environments. How do we, uh, so like if you say a firefighter was doing nothing else, and we just want to incorporate, um, would mobility work or you know what would you recommend for that? Yeah. Case? So what happens is when you only contract your muscles or flex your muscles, mm-hmm. they become shorter bulkier and more immobile, right? They kind of become stuck in one position. Muscles are meant to be pliable. I almost like to think like taffy in a way. They're supposed to move in all different directions. And so when you only do one movement pattern, which is what we typically do, like if we're sitting or walking, you know, our our hips are flexed, um, you know, our ankles are flexed. And so it those muscles become stuck in that position. And then what you just said, you go from zero to a hundred and your muscles aren't used to moving in big ways or in different ways, you know, or you're slipping and sliding on these magazines and your body's like, Oh my gosh, what's happening? Because your muscles are stuck in one position. And so yoga, when you think about mobility offers different movement patterns that help to um, create more 
um, like elasticity, if you will, in your muscles. Um, and so they're, they're healthier. There's more oxygen. There's more new, um, nutrient blood that reaches your muscles. They recover quicker, but they also move better. So that helps to prevent injuries. Um, because what happens when they're stuck in one spot and they're immobile and they're tight, you start to find that they, they tear, right? Yeah. You know, so you're, you're tearing so hamstrings. You're pull, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, again, like if you could do once a week, you know, incorporating and, and all yoga, you know, obviously breathing exercises and meditation is not going to increase your mobility. Those have other benefits, but if we're talking about specifically mobility, um, you know, there's, there's lots of styles of yoga. And even if it's a challenging hard class, which I find that a lot of, um, you know, first responders in general are usually pretty intense type a like want to go for it like and i'm the same way you know like i tend to gravitate more towards the more challenging things because my brain works that way as soon as you tell me to like sit and meditate or like go really slow in a yoga practice i'm like dying which i know that it's probably means that i need more of that but like my mind doesn't want that like i want to go 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 and so even if you did a really challenging yoga class you're still improving your mobility um so i'm not saying you know do a really soft you know i say quotations here like feminine yoga practice it could still be a challenging yoga practice you know and, and the style that i like is um, vinyasa yoga, which is a moving meditation. It's a little bit more challenging. The poses are a little bit harder, um, but you're still increasing your mobility and creating that elasticity in the muscles because you're offering those different movement patterns. Mm, very cool. So let's, so let's talk about the programming that you're doing. Um, I know that you have an online program that you provide to fire departments and police departments, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, is that something that an individual could get, have access to like a log on or something like that? Or is that or not no. so much. No. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So tell us what, yeah. what are you doing? So I created a company called First Jevity, mm -hmm. and it's a virtual yoga program that I developed specifically for law enforcement and firefighters, right? So first responders in general. Um, and you know, in my years of working directly with your bodies, I created the program with you guys in mind, right? And I, when I'm teaching the classes, trying to say things that are relatable, things that I know you guys are going through, like as far as like physical, mental, emotional, all those things. Um, the program is meant for departments or individual agencies. And so the idea is that agencies are prioritizing their employees health and wellness um, by signing on to the program and offering it to all their employees and so that also includes administration and dispatchers everyone in the in the department would be included in that um, so that's kind of the idea I don't have it set up for individual use it's really meant for the departments or the agencies to prioritize physical, mental, emotional. And my thing is longevity. Yeah. You know, we talk about, um, longevity within your career, but also longevity after retirement. You know, how do we give you the tools and the resources? And obviously this is one tool. It's like I said before, it's not an end all be all. It should be a piece of a bigger picture when it comes to building a, a robust health and wellness program. Um, you know, it's providing those, those tools for longevity. And the idea is that, um, you know, we're also setting up future generations, mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, hopefully 
you know, they don't have to, to deal with as many injuries and they have the tools to process the traumas that are inevitable on the job, um, you know, and, and the stressors of the job. Um, and you know, the idea is that we see, you know, the numbers for death by suicide going down and then the life expectancy after retirement going up. And so we're, we're supporting current, you know, first responders, but then also setting up future generations for success. Mm, Very cool. So, so let's say I'm a a fire department Mm -hmm. and how do you recommend we utilize this tool? Yeah. So there's a couple of things. One, and we kind of talked about this before, um, you know, there, there is a level of, intimidation when it comes to yoga or something new Mm -hmm. and maybe someone not wanting to, um, you know, embarrass themselves or do it in front of someone else. So my program is a hundred percent virtual. It lends itself really well to this line of work because of shifts, you know, it's a shift work. So you can watch anytime, any location, any device. So if you don't want to do it in front of people, you don't have to. You know, that's the beauty of it. Everyone has their own individualized login. They can watch it from home. They can watch it with their, and do it with their spouse, with their kids, which is, you know, something that I've heard often, you know, through members of the program that they've incorporated this into their life, um, not just their career. So there's that option to do it individually from home. But I also, you know, in speaking with the current departments who are utilizing this program, they also are, are trying to make it a part of the culture. And so, um, you know, some agencies, you know, some law enforcement agencies make it, you know, a part of their like briefing or there are some, um, you know, you mean like the whole squad gets out and does yoga together. Yep. Nice. Yeah. And so, you know, creating a culture around health and wellness and, um, and then, you know, I work with departments who are incorporating this into their academies, you know, so that they're providing resources really early on. And then when they graduate and they go to their prospective departments and they also have those resources there, um, health and wellness teams or leaders who are promoting the program and getting people together to do it in a group type session. Um, so there's lots of ways to utilize it because it is completely virtual. Um, you know, I have, I know some, Agencies have the luxury of having time while on shift to do something physical. Not everyone does, but I know a lot of them do. And so, you know, hearing stories of them planning like, okay, you know, while we're on shift, we have an hour, we're going to put on this 30 minute yoga class and we're all going to do it together. Um, so making it a part of like, again, a part of the culture. Yeah. Um, so there are lots of different ways to do it. And I think every department is different in, you know, how they're doing it. The most successful are the ones who um, are, you know, really trying to get people together to do it, you know, yeah. as a team. But I also find that a lot of people do like the freedom to do it at home. Nice. Well, that's great. Um, I'm really, uh, I really appreciate that you're putting this out there for public safety. I think it's important for us to have tools like this at our disposal. And, um, you know, cause like I said earlier, you can get on YouTube and search a thousand and one different, you know, programs, um, that don't necessarily have you in mind. Um, and you don't know what you're going to get necessarily. So, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So, it's fun. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let, let me ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. And we'll pull her to a close. Okay. What's one bad recommendation you've heard given? Bad recommendation. The in, worst. You know. in, ter- in terms of what? Yoga? Anything. From other teachers? 
Sure. Let's talk about yoga. Okay. Bad recommendations. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, that's a hard question. The first, ooh, I have two. I have two. Can it's a hard question and suddenly you have two. I have two. <laughs> when it, well, when it pertains to yoga. Okay, lay so it on me. So one, okay, and if you don't know what this pose is, you can look it up, um, but pigeon pose is, oh, pose. you know, um, so many teachers say to make your shin parallel with the top of your mat, right? And so everyone thinks that that's what you should do and that will, that has the potential to break your knee. And so don't do that. If your hip is tight and you feel any knee pain, just in general, I think uh, stop doing it, you know, modify. There are other ways to do it. And like, I like to talk about that a lot because that's such a bad recommendation to sit, to tell someone to do that because that can lead to injury long-term. Oh, you're in my head because that's my, that is the one pose that I'm constantly fighting with that because it puts such pressure on my knees. Yeah. And what was your second thing? The second one is, um, that all meditation is good for everybody. Oh, so I think more about that. Yeah. So I think that one thing that we don't talk about meditation is great. We have to be sensitive to the individual and the individual's past experiences. If someone has trauma or PTSD, not all meditation is going to be useful, Mm. um, or beneficial. And so I think that we need to be really sensitive to the things that we're doing when we talk about public safety, um, or law enforcement talking about, um, you know, trauma and PTSD and things that can be triggering. And so I think that there's this buzzword of like, just meditate, you know, and it's like, yes, meditation is great. It is. But we also have to make sure that we're doing the right types of meditations for the right person. All right. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given or heard given? Mm. You have to be able to sit with yourself. And if you don't like sitting with yourself, who else is going to like sitting with you? And so learning to be able to sit with yourself, I think, was the greatest piece of advice that someone gave to me because I didn't want to sit with myself for a really long time. So um, I think that was life-changing for me. They're like, learn learn to sit with yourself. All right. I like it. All right, last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, this podcast is titled The Fireground Fitness Podcast. So from your perspective, what does it mean to be fireground fit? Fit for the job, right? I think that that's what I would, I would think about like, what can you do? And that doesn't mean that doesn't have to be just physical, you know, how can you be prepared to handle all of the requirements of the job physically, mentally, emotionally? Right on. Are those answers right? (laughs) (laughs) Those questions have no right or wrong answers. That was fantastic. I love it. Well, Paige, thank you. Um, thank you so much for sitting down and, and sharing your, your history, your story with us and, and, you know, um, and your journey and sharing with us, um, what you're doing with yoga and, and how it's impacting and, and what it's doing for first responders. I really appreciate that and think it's great. So thank you so much for sitting down and sharing with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, before we go, <laughs> where, where can we find you on social media and all those platforms if if we want to reach out and connect with you in whatever way. Yeah, so out? my website is First Jevity. So first, F-I-R-S-T. Jevity is G-E-V-I-T-Y. So essentially longevity, First Jevity. 
Yeah. So firstgevity.com is my website. My email is page at firstgevity.com. So you can always reach out to me. And then I'm super active on LinkedIn. So I have a lot of people reaching out to me on LinkedIn to chat. Um, and that's just my name, Paige Arnone, A-R-N-O-N-E. Right on. All right. Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, that's all we got for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, get on over to your favorite platform, subscribe, and then these episodes will down, will drop in the middle of the night while you are least expecting it. And moreover, uh, get on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the uh, podcast that helps grow the audience, etc. And most important thing you got to do, take these lessons learned, imbue them into your life and find ways to improve your mobility, improve your overall health, and improve your performance on and off the fire ground. Go on now. Get some.